it wasn't just a bunch of you know smart people with some cool technology that they could use to move packages around and save a few cents here and there. It was that you know if you can move people around cities, you can enter this you know eventually multi-trillion-dollar market, and you know really increase competition in a great way for consumers. And do something important, and hopefully, you know, meaningfully grow Amazon's value over time. Has the past year convinced you that your family does not need multiple vehicles? Could you be persuaded to give up all of your cars? Well, we may not be there yet as a society, but Jesse Levinson wants to get us closer to that reality. A veteran in the world of autonomous vehicles, Levinson is the co-founder and CTO of Zooks, a Foster City, California company developing its own electric autonomous vehicle, along with a robo-taxi ride-hailing service. Levinson leads the company with CEO Aicha Evans. Zooks operates as an independent company inside Amazon following its acquisition last year. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. On this episode of Day 2, GeekWire's podcast about everything Amazon, Levinson talks about the acquisition, Zooks's vision for environmental sustainability, and its larger goals in urban mobility. Jesse Levinson, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So can you start by describing the vision for Zooks when it was founded back in 2014 and how that vision has evolved? Where are you today compared to back then in terms of your plans for electric autonomous driving? For sure. So we started the company almost seven years ago now because we had this idea that the way people were getting around cities was just not great. Uh, And it was not great in a number of vectors. Uh, It wasn't great for safety because we lose 40,000 Americans every year in car crashes. Uh, It wasn't great for people's time because people spend, you know, truly hundreds of millions of hours, actually billions, many billions of hours a year, just driving and stuck in traffic and be great to be able to spend that time doing something more interesting. Uh, Wasn't great for our cities. Uh, You know, a third of traffic is just caused by people looking for parking. And um, a lot of cities are dedicated to parking lots and other things that would be really nice to to get rid of over time. Uh, Certainly wasn't great for the environment. And not only because, uh, you know, gas powered, cars are, are pretty obviously not a good thing. Um, but actually, even electric cars aren't that great either because you still have to make the thing. Um, and they're, they're better, right? So given a choice between an electric car and a gas-powered car, in, in almost every way, the electric car wins out environmentally. But uh, you're still making a lot of stuff, and that's not good. Um, and so we said, you know, if we could utilize our resources more efficiently, if we could have our vehicles driving customers around all day and all night long and and then spread out the economic and environmental impact of that vehicle over people using it all the time that's a that's a major economic and environmental win um, and then you know just from an efficiency perspective pe- people only use their cars 4% of the time and 96% of the time they are literally just taking up space and depreciating so that's terrible again environmentally and economically And then you can look to maybe ride hailing and say, well, what if we just use Uber and Lyft? And maybe the Uber and Lyft drivers can buy electric cars. Does that solve all of our problems? And and it doesn't because then you have to pay somebody else to chauffeur you around all the time. And that's pretty extravagant. And and very few people can afford to do that all the time. 
And so really the only solution that we saw was this idea of what's now called robo taxis, which are you know electric autonomous vehicles that you can operate as a shared fleet and people can use when they want them and when they're not using them, somebody else's. So that was our vision back in 2014. And critically, our view was that to do that well, uh, you needed a, a new vehicle platform. It wasn't something that you could just retrofit onto existing cars by slapping some sensors on the roof and putting a computer in the trunk and writing some software. So we've taken what, what most people perceive to be a harder route to solve the problem uh, with the view that, A, we actually think it's going to be easier because when you're building a safety critical system, you need to own the entire stack and, and be able to certify and validate it. And B, it's going to result in a much better product that people are really going to want to use and that's going to be economically viable because we've made trade-offs that are designed not for the constraints of selling a car to a consumer, but for operating a fleet of robo-taxis in a city. So that's how we kind of got started. And the second part of the answer, which will be mercifully shorter than my first part, is actually very little has changed. Uh, we're still absolutely 100% doing that. We've made a lot of progress. We've, of course, learned a lot over the years. The vehicle we shared with the world in December is really the culmination of that of that journey that we've been on, uh, and now we're you know in the in the sort of finishing touches to get it ready for public roads and make it incredibly safe and safer than humans. That's also really hard, by the way, uh, but that's what we're up to now, and we can't wait for people to be able to use it. It's funny for some reason whenever I think about that vehicle that you unveiled in December, I think of Doctor Doolittle because it can go either way. It's a push me pull you. But obviously, that's just one aspect of the design. Can you describe for folks who may not have seen or who may want to learn more about the underlying approach, what the vehicle is, how it works, and how it represents that larger vision that you just explained? Yeah, for sure. And for anybody who hasn't seen it, I encourage you to take a look at zooks.com uh, and see it for yourself because it's, it's a little hard to describe it uh, in a way that you'll fully, fully appreciate how cool it is. Um, but, you know, essentially it's a, it's a carriage. It's a people mover. It's a compact bi-directional four seat electric autonomous vehicle. It's a bit like a pod. Um, some people joke that it's a little bit like a toaster. Uh, we think it looks better than a toaster, although nothing against toasters. But fundamentally, it was designed for a very specific purpose, which is moving people around cities, uh, enabling autonomy. So you have, for example, sensors on the top four corners that can see 270 degrees per corner with camera, radar, and LIDAR, really important for solving the AI problem. Uh, and then, you know, internally, you have a, a cabin. We, we call it a cabin because it's, it's really like, a, you know, your own private space to relax and enjoy yourself. We like to say that Zooks is designed for riders and not drivers. Um, First of all, we don't have a driver, so that's easy. Um, and second of all, what we're left with is the rider. And, you know, cars are so optimized for people to drive them as they should be. I mean, that's literally what you do in a car is you drive the thing. Um, but, but as a result, the passenger experience kind of suffers. Um, and so with our vehicle, we were freed from a lot of those constraints and we were able to make a really beautiful experience for the, for the interior passengers, whether you're taking a trip by yourself uh, or whether you're sharing a ride with others. And you know that, that experience at the end of the day is what matters. I mean, the people using these things, they wanna know that they're safe, but they probably, you know, 99% of them don't really care how it works. They just wanna know that it's, it's a great thing to use and it gets them where they wanna go. And, and on the way there, they're having a great time. And so that's really what we were able to do with this vehicle. So you announced this vehicle back in December, as we said, what are the next steps and how much of the puzzle of Zooks does this one piece represent? Is this the whole of your vision or do you plan to do other things in the future as well? 
Kind of both, right? So I, I think it is the whole of our vision in the sense that, you know, really, again, why we started this company was to create a new way for people to move around cities. And this first product that we're building is really the culmination of many, many years of working on that vision. Um, one of the things about Zooks that, that I think is really important is how focused we are. There are a lot of companies in the autonomous vehicle space trying, in my view, what might turn out to be too many things at the same time. It's, it's easy to get tempted by, oh, you know, we can move packages and we can do trucking and we can move people and we can do freeways and we can do this and that. And let's have, you know, six different vehicles. And we'll have a big one and a small one and a tall one and a short one. And, you know, and all of these things are going to happen. And, you know, it's good to have many companies working on parts of them. No one company is going to own the entire uh, AV landscape. That's, that's too big of a market for any one company to own. But as Zooks, we, we have chosen to be very, very focused on this first product. Partly because it's really hard, and we we know that if we try to do too many things at once, there's a good chance we will won't we won't pull any of them off. Uh, but second of all, and I think this isn't necessarily appreciated enough, is the size of the opportunity, both socially and economically, with even just our first product, is truly massive. Um, you know, you can you can come up with things that our first product doesn't do, and that's totally fair. It doesn't do everything. It's not going to take you to you know Lake Tahoe from the Bay Area with all of your stuff. Um, you know, it's not going to drive you to Los Angeles and back from, from San Jose. Uh, it's, it's not going to do everything for all people. It's not going to be able to move 12 people in, in, at a time in one vehicle, but it does a lot for a lot of people. And so there's a, you know, multi-hundred billion dollar economic opportunity with just this first product. And that's why we're so focused on it. Absolutely. Over time, we will do other things. Uh, we will earn that right. Uh, but we're not in a tremendous hurry to be doing seven other things because this, this first one we're working on is very worthy and it's frankly very hard. So yeah, we're working on the, the safety of the thing, you know, really, really just uh, handling the corner cases, making sure that across the board, we are not just as safe as humans, but meaningfully safer than humans and being able to quantify that. You know, it's not enough when you build a self-driving vehicle to just say, well, you know, we did some experiments and it, it seems pretty good. Let's see what happens in the real world, right? That's not, that's not appropriate. You have a lot of systems engineering and simulation and, and real world testing to do to be able to quantify just how safe is this thing. And, and again, you need to be able to say that it's unambiguously and quantifiably significantly safer than humans before you unleash it. And that's exactly what we're working on now. But what about the acquisition of Zooks by Amazon? That's coming up next. So you've had an eventful last year at the company, not the least of which was your acquisition by Amazon. And I recognize that there are many different factors that go into a decision like that, not the least of which is economics. But from a big picture business and technology perspective, why did it make sense for Zooks to become part of Amazon? Yeah, great question. And it was it was a little bit unexpected for us, honestly, because, you know, we had been independent for quite a while and we were excited about that. Um, and the main reason we were excited about that was not so much because we're like, oh, we're so great. We don't want to talk to anybody. It was because, you know, we knew we were on a, on a unique and important mission. And we had a feeling that most big companies maybe wouldn't appreciate that or they would, you know, be like, well, here's some here's some technology. We can use it for this other thing. And that and that might kind of be a bit of a, a bit of a waste, not a complete waste, but not really living up to that full dream that we had when we started the company in 2014. And what was unique about Amazon was two things. I mean, the obvious one was, you know, they're 
incredibly successful company. They have wonderful, you know, financial and other resources to support something like this. And that was certainly not lost on us. But what was more pleasantly surprising, uh, although in retrospect, you know, not really, because you look at their history and how many really new technologies they've invented and created and and really invest in over the long haul. You know, they're not a company that's just looking for the next get rich quick scheme. Um, was was that they instantly saw that that the the vision was worthy. You know, it it wasn't just a bunch of you know smart people with some cool technology that they could use to move packages around and save a few cents here and there. It was that, you know, if you can move people around cities, you can enter this, you know, eventually multi-trillion dollar market and, you know, really increase competition in a great way for consumers and do something important and hopefully, you know, meaningfully grow Amazon's value over time. And it's hard, you know, when you're a 1.7 or $8 trillion company or whatever they are today, um, you know, you're looking for those big opportunities. You're also looking for small opportunities, to be fair. Um, you know, but there's there's only so much that an extra five or ten billion dollars of value can move the needle on your market cap, and and so you're looking for those rare opportunities where you can create multi hundred billion dollar businesses, and this is one of them. And they loved our approach. They loved the vehicle. They 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 loved the way we were tackling this problem. And so to get to be a fully independent subsidiary of Amazon and continue to work on our full and you know unbridled mission uh, with the resources and support of Amazon was kind of a dream come true. It wasn't exactly what we had anticipated, you know, six months earlier before the pandemic hit. Um, but we were just really proud that they they saw that opportunity and that they wanted to partner with us. You also have some alignment, I know, on the issue of sustainability. Amazon had been criticized in the past for not moving faster to implement sustainable programs in terms of especially their logistics and operations programs. But in recent years, they've announced the climate pledge to achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2040. And now many other companies, including Zooks, have joined that pledge. Where are you in terms of your work with Amazon on sustainability issues and Zooks's big picture work on sustainability on its own? For sure. So we are very aligned with Amazon's view on this topic. And that's, again, one of the things that really drew us to Amazon. I mean, it, it admittedly wasn't our number one concern when we were finding a you know path forward was like, you know, who's who's going to be the most sustainable company? Uh, although absolutely, we certainly, you know, <laughs> didn't want to be with a company that, that didn't care about that, you know, our our first concern at that at that point was like, okay, how do we, you know, how do we secure our path forward and really get this out in the world? Um, but it's actually no surprise that that we're so aligned with Amazon because again, um, sustainability is absolutely one of the the core few reasons why we started this company in the first place. And so, for them to recognize that and be excited about that was definitely part of the conversation even from the early days. Um, we are very much, uh, you know, part of the climate pledge. Uh, and that's something that we're excited about. It's not like, well, you know, Amazon has to do it. So I guess we probably have to do it too. It's like, no, we're, we're already, you know, we're already moving in that direction. I mean, we've, we've been doing a lot over the years beyond just, I mean, we can, we can all like pat ourselves on the back for the mission and how sustainable it is. Uh, that's great too, but you know, that's, that's not enough, right? We, we have to be going out there and actually, you know, saying the right things and working with the right, you know, uh, political and, and regulatory efforts and supporting the things that we think are are important. While it is absolutely the role of regulators and politicians to protect the environment, uh, because, you know, there are externalities. And if you just, you know, if you just say, hey, free market, do whatever you want. And again, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the free market. But, 
you know, there are times where we, where you have to put constraints in place to handle externalities. And I think the, the environment and, and protecting it is probably the number one example of that, you know, and you can come up with plenty. We don't need to diverge into, you know, politics, but, but, you know, protecting the environment, you, you, you can't just say it's a, it's a free for all and let's see what happens because you can absolutely predict what will happen and, and it's not great. So, to that extent, you know, we're, we're aligned on, you know, with, with Amazon on, on some of this, but it's, it's one of these, one of these opportunities where you don't necessarily have to make some of the hard trade-offs that you otherwise have to make. You know, sometimes you have to say, well, we're going to do this thing and it's going to cost a lot of extra money, but it's worth it because it's going to be good for the environment. And that's great, by the way, I'm glad that, you know, companies are doing that sometimes voluntarily. And I'm also glad that the government makes sure that companies do that sometimes, even if they might not want to. But what's super cool about Zooks is this is a win for the environment. That's also a win economically. It's not one of these things where you have to kind of pick and choose or you have to trade off like, ah, you know, we're going to do this thing. And it's just it's such an expensive you know, burden, but fine, we'll do, you know, like the, the Zooks model is economically far superior to making and selling cars and, you know, having people own them. And yet it's also so much better for the environment because you don't make as much stuff. And so that's that's for me what, what what's the most exciting aspect environmentally is there's there's not that that unfortunate trade-off that there often is in business. I know that autonomous driving has been something you've been immersed in since your days at Princeton and then Stanford. Do I have that right? That is right. And you were involved in the DARPA Urban Challenge, which is one of those legendary contests where engineers try to figure out the future of autonomous driving. But from a technical standpoint, how much of the environmental benefit do you expect to come from EV? electric vehicles versus AV, autonomous vehicles. Are there efficiencies on the AV side that could potentially even trump the efficiencies that you get from shifting from gas to electric? I guess what I'm asking here is, am I that bad of a driver? <laughs> Do we need a robot to drive us to save the planet? That's a really great question. So, um, the good or bad news, depending on how you look at it, is you're not a horrible driver, um, and and we're not going to get we're not going to get like an order of magnitude win by having the AI drive instead of the human. Except we are, but in a different sort of a way. So let me let me explain that. It's not that the AI you know algorithms are going to be so much more efficient at planning and braking. Uh, and to be clear, they are going to be better at those things than you are. I mean, I've never seen you drive, but you know you're probably not as good as our AI system in those areas. And that will give us some wins for sure. I mean, you know, you'll give 5% here, 10% there, 20% here. These are, meaning, these are meaningful wins, but they're maybe not completely transformative. But what is transformative beyond just being electric? And I touched on this earlier, but it's such an important point uh, for, for society, and I don't think it's broadly appreciated yet, is it's the fact that you have an AI driver in the first place that allows you to switch from the model of privately owned vehicles, whether they're electric or not, to a shared fleet of electric vehicles. That is key for the environment because you know we, we've looked into this a lot and it, it turns out that making a car and just the stuff you have to put into a car, including batteries, by the way, right? I mean, batteries aren't great for the environment. They're still a net win over you know, the alternative, which is an internal combustion engine burning gas, but you know everything else being equal, it'd be great to not build as many batteries, right? There's a lot of stuff in them. And so it turns out that by removing the, the human driver and replacing it with AI, you can unlock that new business model of shared electric autonomous vehicles. And you can dramatically reduce the number of vehicles you need as a society. To put that in perspective, Americans own 2.1 cars per family right now. That's an extraordinary amount of cars. 
we, we, we don't want that many cars in our society for, for lots of reasons, uh, including sustainability reasons. Now, we're not coming out and saying, hey, nobody's ever going to be allowed to drive a car or own a car. As I, as I touched on earlier, there are things that our first product will not do. And there are valid reasons to still want to own a car, even if we were out in the market at scale. Uh, you know, maybe some number of decades from now, that won't be true, but it's going to be true for a while. But I can tell you that with this type of technology out there coming from Zooks and, and I'm sure a couple other companies, uh, we won't need as many cars per family. And we can start replacing privately owned cars with people using these shared electric autonomous fleets and we'll re dramatically reduce the number of stuff, you know, the, the amount of stuff we have to build as a society. And that's really where AI contributes to that major, major win. So as you say that, I think not only about my own experience driving, but also about my own experience over the past year in the pandemic, you know, this shift to remote communication in the business world just totally changed the amount of travel that all of us end up doing. Just as one example, I ended up realizing, and I think a lot of folks out there had the same experience, my family did not need two cars and probably does not need two cars going forward. So how much has the past year like reshaped the world's awareness of that general issue that you just described? Um, maybe not as much as it should. I mean, you've you've had that insight, which is great, but you're also thinking about these things more than most people are. Um, but I think I think it, I think it'll come right, even though maybe not everybody has realized that they have at least started noticing some of the ingredients that will feed into this epiphany for society. And absolutely, you know, the advent of, uh, you know, ride hailing from companies like Uber and Lyft in America, plus the pandemic and people realizing, hey, maybe, you know, maybe there are some things I can do without having to physically go somewhere. Um, I think that that is contributing to, to this realization over time. Um, but, you know, it, it, it has to be said that there are lots of good reasons to go places, right? We don't, I don't think we want to be a society that just, you know, only does things over Zoom. Uh, as, as wonderful of a tool as that is, especially during a pandemic. Um, and so, so we, you know, we, we do, we do need this technology. We do want people to be able to get around. Uh, but as you say, uh, it's, it's definitely not going to end up at 2.1 cars per family. And, and you're just going to start to see that number drop and drop and drop. And, uh, you know, I don't know when it's going to get to zero, but again, it doesn't have to get to zero for it to be a huge win for society. If that can get to, you know, one, even from 2.1, that's a tremendous win. And that's still a lot of people owning cars. I know you're focusing right now intently on human transportation, the robo-taxi concept that you've unveiled, even under Amazon, which I think should be noted, by the way. It's really remarkable. Amazon was not doing an aqua hire here or just a tech acquisition. As you said earlier, you're doing your own company inside Amazon, so I wanted to underscore that. But what are the potentials for package delivery? In other words, applying your technology to Amazon's core business. What are the implications for jobs in that? Because drivers are not only driving for recreation or personal enjoyment, some people are driving for income. So how do you think about all those issues as they relate to what Zooks will do in the future? Those are good and, and fair, fair questions. And we absolutely think about that. I think the first thing to, to put in perspective uh, is that, you know, as we've discussed, this is not an overnight, you know, it's not a get rich quick scheme. It's also not a, you know, the society is going to look totally different in three months kind of a thing. Um, although we are making the leap to fully autonomous driving, the deployment of that technology will be done very much incrementally. Uh, and, and that's, and then that's not because we're, you know, we're lazy or we're not, you know, ambitious. It's because it's just one of the hardest technical problems of our generation. And, it's literally a safety critical device. And so that's not something you can rush to market. That, that'll 
quickly backfire. Um, and so the reality is we as a society, and that includes people who, who make income from driving, have a long time to adapt to this change that's coming. Uh, that doesn't mean it won't be difficult for some people, but but you know if 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 you do spend spend a lot of your uh, time driving for for income, you have many years before that's going to be something you need to acutely worry about, and maybe that's something you might want to start thinking about now. But you know th the demand for uh, ride hailing and for for goods delivery is actually only increasing. So so right now we have an acute need for for more drivers actually. Uh, and yes, over the coming decades, that that balance will certainly shift. Um, but again, you know, usually when there's a new technology, it, it it ends up creating more jobs than it displaces. We certainly expect that to be the case here, in particular because we're tremendously excited about the accessibility improvements that this technology will bring to underserved communities and people who maybe don't currently have a safe way to even get to work. You know, they they might be in communities that are underserved by. Uh, Uber and Lyft, um, both for economic reasons and maybe in some cases even for you know safety reasons, um, and and both of those can be addressed by by this technology over time. So we're really excited about those benefits. Uh, as with all technology, there are trade offs and adjustments that have to be made over time. But again, we encourage folks to start thinking about that and you know realize that there is plenty of time to prepare for this future. So many people in the audience are pretty familiar with the core tenets of Amazon, and some of them have worked there and might even have the 14 leadership principles memorized. But I'm curious, is there anything that surprised you about the company, positive or negative, that people who already know Amazon should know from your perspective based on Zooks's experience after being acquired by the company? For sure. You know, it's been it's been fascinating because we have kind of this unique experience where we we are part of Amazon on some level, but we're also not on some other level. So for example, you know, we we are separate in terms of our HR systems and a bunch of other, you know, uh, facets and, and uh, aspects. Um, but, you know, we, we obviously have regular meetings with Amazon execs and get to learn from some of the fantastic lessons that they've learned in the, and their culture over the years. Uh, and so I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. One of the things that we're embracing to some extent, not because we're being forced to, uh, is the, you know, the concept of the six pager and, and they really like to, you know, write things down. And that's really powerful because sometimes you can just get lost in a, in a slide presentation. Uh, and it's, it's easy to miss, you know, the, the point and the details. And so this idea there, you actually sit down and, you know, you spend some time, you write, a three-pager, a six-pager, and then you give people time at the beginning of the meeting to read the damn thing, uh, you know, and process it and then have a conversation. That's really powerful. Uh, it's not that we're, you know, requiring people to do that. We don't do it in all of our meetings, but we've started doing it in many of our meetings, even ones that aren't with Amazon folks. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. Um, another thing that I really like about Amazon and their leadership principles is, is this idea of really decomposing problems, you know, looking at inputs and outputs and, and asking yourself, you know, if you say something's hard, can you can you dig a layer deeper? And then what does that mean? And, and how do you, you know, don't just say, well, it's unsolved or well, it's hard, like quantify that, break it down. And then, you know, keep doing that recursively until, until everything makes as much sense as possible. So it's been great, you know, learning from, from some of the execs over there. And we're certainly applying some of those lessons to the way we do things at Zooks. But we also appreciate getting to continue with our own you know, culture and, and keep things still feeling like Zooks. So it's, it's been a really nice balance. Well, I'll be looking forward to the day when I can just leave my car in the garage or get rid of it and walk out to the sidewalk and hail my Zooks. We are too. Jesse Levinson, the co-founder and CTO of Zooks. Thanks very much for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me on the show. Great to meet you. Thanks for listening to GeekWire's Day 2 podcast. For more episodes, go to geekwire.com slash day two. Subscribe in any podcast app and be sure to leave us a rating and a review. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. We'll be back soon with a new episode of Day 2.